Hey, Forge family. This is going to be episode number seven of the story of Jacob as he uh, works out his final years under Laban, the schemer. And so before we start that, I want to talk a little bit about the last episode in which God displays his faithfulness to Jacob to build his family. You know, the hated, marginalized wife, Leah, who longs to be loved by her husband. It's, it's, she's the one who bears seven children. And one of those was Judah. And the seed from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob, that seed is going to pass to Judah and it's going to pass down the line to King David and through David to Jesus. She also was the mother to Levi. Because descended from Levi is Moses, who will be the deliverer for the people of Israel out of Egypt. And his brother, Aaron, who becomes high priest and established the tribe of Levi, becomes set apart to be the, the priesthood for the nation. Now, Rachel, who is treated as the number one wife by Jacob, is longing to be a mom. She's She's jealous, she's angry, but she's barren. And she stays barren until she released her control over the other wives and over Jacob. And then God remembered her and she conceived and she gave birth to Joseph. Joseph is going to be the future redeemer for those 12 tribes as they have to leave the land of Canaan and because of drought and go down to Egypt. And God is going to place Joseph ahead of them. Now, I asked you, at the end of last episode, podcast number six, what are you longing for? What are you crying out to heaven to provide? So the, the, the question this week now is, what was God's answer this week? What did God share with you? What did he do this week for what you're longing for? Now, if he's done something, you tell it to somebody else. You share your answer with someone else. So Lord, as we begin episode 7, we begin and we say, Lord, Holy Spirit, we don't want to just do plot. We don't want to just do narrative here. We want what's beneath that, behind that. We want to set it in the history. We want to understand what you're doing here. Lord, help us zoom in, zoom out, see what you're at work doing in the life of Jacob. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 30 of Genesis, beginning in verse 25, um, as I said, Rachel has given birth to Joseph. That bonds her to Jacob. No longer is she a barren daughter married to this man. Because apparently Jacob was afraid that he, if he left, Laban would take Rachel back because there were no, there was no children. Okay, so he goes in the fourteenth year, end of the labor contract, the second seven year period of time that he worked for Laban to buy, if you will, to pay the bride price for Rachel. He goes to Laban, and he says, "Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you." And let me depart, for you yourself know my service 
which I have served you with. You know, three times in that verse, verse 26, he says service, served. You know, he emphasizes what he's done for 14 years. And Laban responds and says, Oh, if now it pleases you, stay with me, for I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. Uh, you know, he enters into this with the smooth words of the negotiator. Okay? But he, we got a clue here. He's been absolutely blind to the fact that his fortunes have changed radically. When Jacob walked in the door, he was, he was a little tiny pokey shepherd. He didn't have much. And for 14 years, the master husbandman, Jacob, worked with his flocks and his herds and his cattle and his donkeys and his camels, and he bred them to be strong and to multiply. And Laban's wealth exploded. And Laban only finds that out by doing divination. You see, in the ancient Near East, divination was the means by which you could control spiritual forces, or you could discover what spiritual forces were trying to control you. See, that's in direct contrast to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who says, I am the Lord God Almighty, and I am in control. Most extra-biblical Mesopotamian texts, whether they're clay tablets, whether they're inscriptions, whether they're engraved, whether they're in book form, or passed down, who knows how... We got those things, but most of them deal with some form of divination because every household could lived and died by keeping the gods pleased. Okay, Laban's no example. You know, Abraham left. He left behind that whole family idolatry thing, and left the family and went away. The rest of the family continued in their idolatrous ways, and so Laban, by divination, has discovered. Whoa! Guess what? This man. Jacob has produced a multitude of flocks and herds. Whoa, look at that. I, I found that out by divination. See, he's finally become, Jacob's finally aware of the fact that here Laban is talking smooth and he's going to try and take advantage of me again. He's going to try and exploit me again. He's done it twice. And, and we find out later, many times more than twice. Okay. And he says, every place I've put my foot down, God has blessed you, Laban. So Jacob says to him, all right, Laban, you do this one thing for me. This, is, this will be my wages. If I stay and work for you, because if he left at that point, if he took his wives and his children and he left, he goes out of there with empty pockets. Big family, big obligations, no resources. So Jacob has a plan. He says, you do this one thing if I stay. My wages will be the spotted and the speckled and the weird colored sheep and goats. You see, in the, in the ancient Near East, goats were bred to be black and sheep were bred to be white. But because of some cross-pollination, cross-generational things, cross-breeding, you had some some speckled and spotted and ring-streaked goats and some black lambs and some brown lambs and some streaky colored sheep. Okay, what Jacob says is, I want those off-colored hybrid animals as my wages. And so that you understand my integrity here, if you come and you find any of those in my midst, you'll know I stole them. 
Okay? Uh, just so you know, I don't. I want to start clean. I want to start with black sheep, um, with white sheep and black goats, and whatever God produces, we'll see. Okay, but then Laban cheats. He says, "Oh, sure, I'm with you. Be it, be it, just like you said." Got it. That day, Laban goes through every flock and every herd he's got, and he removes the spotted, speckled you know, goats, and he removes the dark-colored lambs, and he sends those three days away, 50 miles at least, into the care of his sons. They get all the hybrid animals. So that in his flocks, in Laban's flocks, there are black goats and white sheep. And Laban has tried to shift the balance of power here and guarantee Jacob will fail. He's going to get nothing for his efforts. Now, there's a scholar named Greenwald who's discovered an ancient Babylonian herding contract in the archives somewhere, and the shepherd was to get 20% of the increase. That meant, you know, if you know, whatever kids and lambs were born and they grew and they were, tra you know, tradable, etc., uh, they came to slaughter weight, the, the shepherd got 20%. But you see... What Jacob wants is 100%. Jacob is not going to settle for 20%. And he sets about shepherding the white sheep and the black goats. Because Jacob knows something. He knows that some of the does, the female goats, and some of the ewes, the female sheep, among those flocks, carry a recessive trait. And, and the, the kids and the lambs that are in the utero, that are invisible assets right now for him, they're going to be born black and brown and striped and mottled and streaked. He knows that's coming. Okay? And, and Jacob also is a master breeder. He knows what season is best for breeding of those flocks. You see, it's you, you, once, the, once the ewes and does are bred, it's 150 days of, of gestation. They carry in their womb the, the, molt, the kids and the lambs. Okay, 150 days, then they give birth. Okay, but then there's another 150 days after that that they have to wean those kids and lambs. The mamas are going to feed those kids and lambs. They're going to feed them milk. And so they're going to be vulnerable. They're going to be in a field. Jacob knows what season of the year is best for mating so that when those kids and lambs are dropped, when they're born, it is the most favorable temperature. It is the best water. There's the best grass for mama to feed on. And there's the fewest predators. The sons of Laban and Laban himself have not paid one whit of attention in 14 years. You see, Jacob is a worker. He's an employee. He takes care of that for us. They weren't aware of what he was doing. And so he takes his specialty, if you will, of getting these herds ready to breed at a specific time. Now, get ready to zoom out because the text says that Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and sycamore trees. 
Okay, and he peeled white stripes in these in these branches in these rods and exposed the white that was in the rods and he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink. See, it, it sounds to me in the text, as I've read it in Hebrew and I've read it in English for things, that he took these peeled, fresh peeled poles and he sets them up either in front of or just in the watering trough. And, and there are many teachers who teach this passage and they say, oh, well, obviously he's trying to imprint in the eyes of the mating couple, mating pairs, the, the bucks and the does, the rams and the ewes, when they come to water and they mate, he's trying to imprint the stripy stuff into the mind of that female so that she will bear a striped kid, a striped lamb. Well, genetics doesn't work that way. Science doesn't work that way. This is called sympathetic magic. Okay? You're trying to get, you know, it's, it's, what, it's what, what Rachel tried to do. Rachel went out bargained for some mandrake roots to be an aphrodisiac to try and get her husband to pay attention to her and get aroused and give her children. Didn't work. Years pass. Literally, years pass before Rachel conceives. And so there's this old white magic stuff that is the, it is a possible translation for what's being done here. But there's another man named Sarna who is a, a, a Torah scholar. And he posits that the poplar, almond, and sycamore trees, especially the new growth, had in the bark and in the cambium layer of those trees, medicinal and toxic substances that were used in the ancient Near East, both medicinally and, you know, sometimes for poisons, okay? But if you take those striped, partially peeled things and you put them in the water, that may have released an odor and a chemical into the water that those uh, sheep and goats were drinking that prompted a unified response to speed up the onset of estrus. That means they're in a mating cycle. The females go into heat and the males go into heat at the same time and they begin to mate, which is what is described here, you know, where it set the rods that were peeled there and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So there are those who say, well, you know, what you see really has an impact on what you produce. Well, I think that's true in some measure. But here you're dealing with the reality of, of simple genetic cross-matching. You're trying to produce, um, Jacob is trying to produce the striped and, um, and off-colored sheep and goats. <clears throat> and he may have given it his best shot at a symp using sympathetic magic, or he may have given it his best shot using these peeled poles and their and the substances that were in them. But it says he put he put those rods in when the stronger of the flock were mating. You know what? The stronger of the flock were the hybrids. The stronger of the flock were the the ring striped. They were the spotted ones. They're the stripy ones. They're the black lambs. They're the black sheep. 
They're, they're the ones who have an additional strain in them that make them better breeders and make them better moms. There's a higher birth count. There are more kids born to the goats and more lambs born to the ewes, to the sheep. Also, this selective breeding method is de was designed to get them to mate at the precise time, to mate earlier. I mean, we know that that if if the flocks give birth in summertime, in the heat, they don't come to sexual maturity so that they can breed for 18 months. Jacob didn't want that. Jacob did not want to have to wait. He wanted those flocks and herds to mate at the right time and produce many offspring. At the same time, Jacob is keeping separate flocks. He's keeping his labor contract with Laban. He puts the black goats into Laban's pile, and he puts the white sheep into Laban's flocks, and it turns out they were the weaker. They didn't breed with the same intensity. They didn't have as many kids. They didn't have as many lambs. And over time, Laban's flocks and herds begin to shrink. And Jacob's flocks and herds multiply beyond amazing any amazing expectation. It says he became exceedingly prosperous. His wealth broke out. And he had so much. He could trade those sheep and goats for male and female servants, for camels and for donkeys. Now, as we start chapter 31, Jacob becomes aware. It says, Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. Whether it was murmured, whether it was back channel, whether he heard it, he heard it. Okay? That Laban's sons were very grumpy about the fact that their herds were shrinking and Jacob's herds were multiplying beyond belief. And they could see that, quote, Jacob was taking away from Laban. <clears throat> the text says, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Literally, he has made his glory. There was so much there, there they didn't have words for it. It wasn't just wealth, it was glory. And then Jacob sees, next verse, that, that Laban's countenance has changed. Laban's face has changed. It dawns on Laban that he's been had, that he's been bested in this contest between two schemers. And just like, just like the Philistines, remember Isaac went to Gerar and stayed there because the Lord said, you stay here, you don't go down to Egypt, you stay here, I'll bless you. So he sows um, a grain crop in famine season, and he, and he reaps a hundredfold. And the text said he became rich, and then richer, and then incredibly wealthy. All in the same verse. And then the Philistines were jealous. That's what happens here with Laban's family. Now, immediately... God steps into that equation. Verse 3, Then the Lord came to Jacob and says directly, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. Now that includes Esau, mind you. Okay, go to your relatives and I will be with you. Okay, not only has Jacob seen, I got to do something, but the Lord steps in and says, Now it's time to go. Jacob sent 
out and he gets he gets his wives to come to him out in the fields. Why would he do that? Because he already knows tents and buildings have many ears. In his own history, his mom heard through the tent wall, through the, the woven cloth wall, he heard Isaac's plan to bless Esau with a secret ceremony. Okay, so he knows... I'm not, do, I'm not talking about this at, when I get home. He calls his wives out into the field and he says to them, look, you know, I need your loyalty here. He has to persuade his wives that there's trouble brewing, that Laban is going to be upset and their brothers are, were genuinely alarmed. Okay, He has to convince them that the that their departure, their flight, their leaving suddenly is justice being done because Laban has been a cheat. And then thirdly, he points out that God has promised to be with him, with Jacob, as they go. He plays the God card last. He says, and God's with this. This is a God thing. He says to them, I served your father with all my strength. And they knew his integrity. He'd served seven years for Leah and seven years for Rachel. And now six more years, 20 years. Okay, he's now 97 years old. Okay, and in that period of time of serving Laban, your father cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. That's a rhetorical way to say he did it over and over. 10 is the number that just says, it's, it's, it's like saying when you count one, two, three, many. Okay, when he says 10, he's changed my wages 10 times. It means again and again and again. Laban kept shifting the pay scale, kept shifting how much he was going to get to provide for his family for his, for in his 14 years and now in the last six. Okay? But then he says, look, but God has allowed me to do this and... Your father hasn't hurt me. God's protected me. He reminds his wives of the contract for his wages. You know, the speckled and the spotted. And then he said, all the flock brought forth striped goats and dark colored sheep. Look at that. Okay. And he said flat out, God has taken away Laban's flocks and given them to me. He plays back the dream that he heard. But in the dream, we see it was God who points out it was the strong, hybrid, stripy animals that were breeding strongly, mating strongly, not the weak ones. Now, we don't know whether or not this dream preceded Jacob's strategy or whether this dream comes after the whole breeding process is done and he's a wealthy man and God points out and says look they're breeding and I brought that to pass so ultimately God was the one who was directing the mating not Jacob with all his husbandry and all his skill and it was not sympathetic magic now Rachel and Leah step up and say wait a minute the bride price that you paid for each of us, the seven years wages, if you will, part of that should, by right, have been set aside as inheritance for them. Some portion of that was to have been set aside for Leah 
to have been set aside for Rachel. But they say, our father has entirely consumed our purchase price. He gobbled it up. He used it up. Surely the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us. Now, where's Laban this whole time? It says Laban is out on the plains of Aram, in Padan Aram. There's this wide plain where, they've, where he had his herds with his sons, and he's there shearing sheep and goats. That's an intensive man, labor, heavy deal to pull in every one of those sheep and shear it, every one of those goats and shear it, because the wool was used to make fabric. Okay? And he's three days separated from the camp where Jacob is. While her dad is out there, <clears throat> the text says, <clears throat> Rachel steals his household gods. She takes Laban's idols. Now, in every ancient Near East household, there were those idols. There, there was the one that you rubbed for good luck. There was the one you took to bed with you to produce fertility in the marriage bed. There was the one you set in the window to keep bad juju from getting into the house. Yeah, there was all kinds of these little objects that were objects of divination. They are objects of worship. But in this case, they're called teraphim. It's a plural Hebrew word. It's, I mean, it's really a plural. And it's highly likely that this represented the life savings of Laban. Remember when Abraham purchased a field from Ephron the Hittite that included the cave of Machpelah so he could bury Sarah and subsequently you know the rest of the family that's the burial site for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You know Abraham's there now. You know uh, Rachel's on her way there. Uh, you know uh, Rebecca is on her way there. Uh, Isaac when he dies is going there. Okay there was 400 shekels of silver that changed hands for that purchase. Well, 400 separate pieces of silver, that's that's pretty anonymous stuff. If you were if a portion of that was stolen, you couldn't tell if you caught the thief, you couldn't tell what part of that was yours and what part of that was his because it was small, it was you could hide it, you could carry it and it was unidentifiable. But if you took that 400 shekels of silver and you melted it down and you cast it in the shape of a house idol. It represented your life savings. It represented an object for divination and for worship. And lastly, those gods, if you will, those teraphim, were part of the legal title for Laban's estate. To Jacob, they meant nothing. His family had departed from worshiping idols. Wasn't part of his background, his heritage, nothing. He, he knew what it was, didn't own any part of it. For Rachel, when she took it, she wasn't taking an object of worship. She was taking a monetary item in precious metal to, re to recoup what she did not get and her sister did not get in terms of inheritance. And in so doing, she steals her brother's inheritance. Now the text says, Jacob deceives Laban. Okay, he, he leaves without notice. He ups and mounts his family on camels, okay, and they're gone. 
his family, they're on camels. They can they can go like the wind. They can they can cover vast chunks of ground safely, smoothly. Okay? But he's also driving along the servants, the livestock, the herds, the donkeys, the cattle, the, the vast amount of his wealth is on the hoof. And he takes it all. And he drives those animals with some speed because he's going back to the land of Canaan, to the land of Isaac, his father. It says he rose, he crossed the Euphrates River, and he set his face toward Gilead. Now Gilead is really just the slope of, of the nation today, the modern slope of the nation Jordan that slopes from the east down to the Jordan River. It was well watered. There are rivers, there are streams, there are springs, and it was ideal pasture for herds and flocks. And it's 300 miles to go. On a camel, 30 miles a day, 10 days, no problem. But for flocks and herds, people on foot, he's moving on. He's, he realizes when word gets to Laban, I want to be someplace else. Okay? So, Forge family, like I said, we don't know whether this dream scene that, that he relates to his wife's was his entry strategy or just a summary for what God did. But God was the one who delivered to him astounding wealth. What we do know is that God was in charge of redressing 20 years of being cheated by Laban. Now, we've all been around a cheater. We've all been around, or we will be around, someone who's slick, someone who's out for themselves. And you may feel or have felt that you've been used. So let me give you a, a strategy. When you're in those situations with a landlord, with a boss, with a fiancé, with, with a girlfriend, with someone who, who's you know controlling your inheritance, and you just go, oh, I can't stand this. Okay, number one, you bless that person. You bless the schemer. Now, probably to be able to do that, you'd better forgive them first. You forgive them. And you bless them because they're going to stand before God and answer for themselves. And you don't want that on your, on your chart. You bless them. Second, you take an inventory of what skills and abilities God has given you. What is it that I can do and do with excellence? Then you take, number three, you take all of that that the Lord has given you and trained you in and you put it at his feet. You let go of it. And you trust him, number four, okay, to redeem the mess and to prosper you. You trust the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You trust the Lord Jesus to protect your integrity. Lastly, you believe that God will tell you when to leave. You believe that God will tell you how to leave. So here in Genesis 30 and 31, God built Jacob's family and God has built Jacob's wealth. This and what, what precipitates, you know, that, that results in rather a first exodus that out of the house of bondage, out of the house of Laban in this case, the 12 sons of Jacob leave and they leave with considerable wealth. 
But that prefigures and it foreshadows what's going to happen 400 years later when the 12 tribes named after these 12 sons of Jacob come out under Moses' leadership and they plunder the Egyptian and, be, and leave with vast wealth. Now, in this passage, Jacob has stepped up and he's spoken on behalf of his family. He stepped up, he speaks to his wife and he gets their agreement. And he even acknowledges with them that it is God who has made him wealthy. So too, out of the provision that God provides for us, he will lead you into an area of conflict. There, in that area of conflict, He's provided you, he's protected you, and he will keep doing that. But there's conflict. There, you need to listen to the Lord. There, you need to obey. All right, Force family. God bless you. See you soon.